So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. Have I forgotten about something? I do think so. Well, anyway, um, today we're going to go ahead with another book, and the book is called Yes to Life uh, by Viktor Frankl, in spite of everything. Well, actually, Yes to Life, in spite of everything by Viktor Frankl. Yeah, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, which is a fucking amazing book. So I do hope and kind of also expect that this book is also going to be quite amazing. Yes to Life, in spite of everything, Viktor Frankl's lost lectures on moving beyond optimism and pessimism to find the deepest source of meaning. And there is a quote, everything depends on the individual human being, regardless of how small a number of like-minded people there is, each person through action and not mere words, creatively making the meaning of life a reality in his or her own being. To decide whether life is worth living is to answer the fundamental question of philosophy. Everything else is child's play. We must first, we must first of all answer the question. No, of all answer the question. Well... Sometimes life asks, asks this question not as a thought experiment, but as a gauntlet hurled with the raw brutality of living. That same, that self-same year, the young Viennese neuro neurologist and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, March 26, 1905 till September the 2nd, 1997, was taken to Auschwitz, along with more than a million human beings, robbed of the basic right to answer this question for themselves, instead deemed unworthy of living. Some survived by reading, some through humor, some by pure chance, most did not. Frankl lost his mother, his father and his brother to the mass murder in the concentration camps. His own life was spared by the tightly braided lifeline of chance, choice and also character. A mere 11 months after surviving the unsurvivable, Frankl took up the elemental question at the heart of Camus' philosophical parable in a set of lectures, which he himself edited into a slim potent book published in Germany in 1946, just as he was completing Man's Search for Meaning. As our collective memoir, oh, I'm sorry, as our collective memory always tends toward amnesia and irreassure, especially of periods scared by civilization's shame, civilizational shame, I'm sorry, these existential infusions of sanity and lucid, uh, bio, what, buoyancy fell out of print and were soon forgotten, eventually rediscovered, as is also the tendency of our collective memory when the present fails us and we must learn for succor on the life-tested wisdom of the past. They are now published in English for the first time as Yes to Life, in spite of everything, which is kind of or apparently available in the public library, which is a pretty cool thing. But I do wonder what the German title is, because it's probably not Yes to Life, in spite of everything. Definitely not the case, I guess. Frankl begins by considering the question of whether life is worth living through the central fact of human dignity, noting how gravely the Holocaust disillusioned humanity with itself. He cautions against the defeatist end-of-the-world mindset, which with which many responded to this disillusionment, but cautions equally against the a uh, blithe optimism of previous, more naive eras that had not yet faced this gruesome civilizational mirror reflecting what human beings are capable of doing to one and another. Both dispositions, he argues, stem from nihilism, in consonance with his colleague and contemporary 
Eric Fromms or Eric Fromms' insistence that we can only transcend the shared laziness of optimism and pessimism through rational faith in the human spirit. So Frankl writes, We cannot move toward any spiritual con reconstruction with a sense of fatalism such as this. Generations and mirrored cultural what and mirror well, I'm, I'm sorry. Generations and myriad cultural uphe upheavals before said the Smith observed that progress is never permanent, will always be threatened, must be redoubled, restated and reimagined if it is to survive. Frankl considers what progress even means, emphasizing the centrality of our individual choices in its constant revision. Yeah. I mean, progress is definitely not permanent. Of course, you're going to progress maybe today. But if you don't do the same thing as, or probably even a different thing than you did today, then you're not going to progress. You know, yeah, period. You know, progress is definitely something that's um, temporary and not very permanent. Today, every impulse for action is generated by the knowledge that there is no form of progress on which we can trustingly rely. If today we cannot sit idly by, it is precisely because each and every one of us determines what and how far something progresses. In this, we are aware that inner progress is only, a, is only actually possible for each individual, while mass progress at most consists of technical progress, which only impresses us because we live in a technical age. So in this we are aware that inner progress is only actually possible for each individual, which mass progress, while mass progress at most consists of technical progress, which only impresses us because we live in a technical age. Yes, we definitely live in a technical age. And yes, um, yeah, totally, totally. Even though, I mean, we could argue or I could argue like, um, what about, um, what about, People themselves individually making progress, which leads to mass progress, you know, just coming from that place. Like, okay, you know, we understand that this has been bad and that has been bad and whatnot, what we've done in the past, but we all individually recognize that and see that and progress in that sense. So is this then just individual progress or is it mass progress? I don't know. I wonder. Insisting that it takes a measure of moral strength not to succumb to nihilism, be, be it that of the pessimist or of the optimist, he exclaims, give me a sober activism anytime rather than those rose-tinted fatalism. Rather than that rose-tinted fatalism. How steadfast would a person's belief in the meaningfulness of life have to be so as not to be scattered by such skepticism? How unconditionally do we have to believe in the meaning and value of human existence if this belief is able to take up and bear this skepticism and pessimism? Through this nihilism, through the pessimism and skepticism, through the soberness of a new objectivity that is no longer that new but has grown old, we must strive toward a new humanity. Sophie Scholl, upon whom chance did not smile as favorably as it did upon Frankel, affirmed this notion with her insistence that living with integrity and belief in human goodness is the wellspring of courage as she courageously faced her own uh, un untimely death in the hands of the Nazis. But while the Holocaust indisputably disenchanted humanity, Frankel argues, it also indisputably demonstrated that what is human that what is human is still valid 
that is all a question of the individual human being looking back on the brutality of the camps, he reflects. What remained was the individual person, the human being, and nothing else. Everything had fallen away from him during those years. Money, power, fame, nothing was certain for him anymore. Not life, not health, not happiness. All had been called into question for him. Vanity, ambition, relationships, everything was reduced to bare existence. Burned through with pain, everything that was not essential was melted down. The human being reduced to what he was in the last analysis. Either a member of the masses, therefore no one real, so really no one. The anonymous one, a nameless thing, exclamation mark, that quote-unquote he had now become just a prisoner number or else he melted right down to his essential self. And yes, I mean, it's been a fucked up thing and I kind of feel like saying sorry too because, you know, there is still sons and daughters and, um, you know, grandchildren of, of people that that survived those camps and or, um, you know, people that do have or did once know people that, that had to go through these fucked up camps and I feel very sorry for you, and I, I am very sorry, um, just because I am. I mean, we. I mean, I could argue like, okay, I'm from Austria, so uh, I could feel sorry just because of that. But um, it's not necessarily. It's not necessarily coming from that place, you know. It's. I am part of a generation where this isn't that. That, you know, where this is not really the case, you know, I know that past generations have really indeed felt sorry from that place, you know, from the place of, okay, you know, this has been my nationality, so I should feel sorry for those people because they were way closer to this event than I am. And, you know, maybe the whole just nationalism thing and being proud of your country and stuff like that has been a big or a bit of a different thing back in the days as it is for me right now. But I still feel very sorry from the bottom of my heart. And I, I do hope that all of these people were able to to deal with that in 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 a good way in the end. Right up up to this point. Like it's been a bit of time, fortunately. Um but still, yeah. Uh in a sentiment that belows uh belows from the hallways of history into the great vaulted temple of timeless truth, he adds. Everything depends on the individual human being, regardless of how small a number of like-minded people there is, and everything depends on each person, through action and not mere words, creatively making the meaning of life a reality in his or her own being. Yes, I mean, we can think a lot of things and we can say a lot of things, but, you know, when we don't do things, you know, which is the action part, then nothing is really gonna change, you know, because through action and not mere words. As Funkel already says. Funkel then turns to the question of finding a sense of meaning when the world gives us ample reasons to view life as meaningless. The question of continuing to live despite persistent world wearings, writing in a post-war pre-dawn of the golden age of consumerism, which has built a global economy by continually robbing us of the sense of meaning and selling it back to us at the price of the product. Funkel first dismantles the notion that meaning is to be found in the pursuit and acquisition of various pleasures. Let us imagine a man who has been sentenced to death and a few hours before his execution has been told he is free to decide on a menu for his last meal. The guard comes into his cell and asks him what he wants to eat, offers him all kinds of delicacies. 
But the man rejects all of his suggestions. He thinks to himself that it is quite irrelevant whether he stuffs good food into the stomach of his organism or not, as in a few hours it will be a corpse. And even the feelings of pleasure that could still be felt in organisms, cerebral ganglia, seem pointless in view of the fact that in two hours they will be destroyed forever. But the whole of life stands in the face of death, and if this man had been right, then our whole lives would also be meaningless, were we only, were we only to strive for pleasure and nothing else. Preferably the most pleasure and the highest degree of pleasure possible. Pleasure in itself cannot give our existence meaning, thus the lack of pleasure cannot take away meaning from life, which now seems obvious to us. I do want to read ahead a bit, but just a bit. I do have to be a bit concerned about my timing today. He quotes a short verse by the great Indian poet and philosopher Rabindranath Tagore, which is probably not the right pronunciation, the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize, Einstein's one-time conversation partner in contemplating science and spirituality and, uh, and a man who thought deeply about human nature. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was duty. I worked and behold, duty was joy. Hmm. In consonance with Camus' view of happiness as a moral obligation, an outcome to be attained not through direct pursuit by, but as a byproduct of living with, an, with authenticity and integrity or authenticity, Frank reflects on Tragor's poetic, poetic point. And this is what we're going to go through the next time. I do. I'm going to highlight this part so that I don't forget about it. And yeah, um. I wish you the best health of happiness and all success and also hope that you're going to remind yourself and you're going to be remembered, which basically means your legacy and basically means just being a nice person and then being remembered as a nice person, which is a pretty fucking cool thing. Three other questions that I'm having for you are, why are you here? What are you trying to change and what is bothering you the most? These three questions are hopefully going to show you your purpose and maybe even a business idea, which is hopefully going to show you, period. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Um, One last question that I'm having for you is, what could you essentially say to another person that is indeed, indeed going to change their life? Um, because I totally believe that we all can say something, whether it is a small compliment, whether it is something nice, and or whether it is just for a second the case, or whether it is a minute, an hour, maybe it's just even their lifetime. You know, we don't know, you don't know, I don't know. So please maybe just give it a chance and say something nice to somebody, just because you can. But yeah, Um Thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. I'm hopefully going to see you the next time. So please take care of yourself, your friends and family. Bye-bye.